from the Partnership for Public Service. This is Profiles in Public Service, a podcast that tells the stories of the public servants responsible for our government's most significant achievements. I'm Lauren DeYoung Shulman. And I'm Rachel Klein Kircher. The hospital and clinics of the Toma VA Medical Center in Wisconsin were in crisis when Victoria Brahm arrived as the new acting director in 2015. Ongoing investigations of unsafe medical practices, overdose veterans, and destructively low employee morale had tarnished the reputation of what was once a leading national facility. In four years as acting director and then as permanent director, Victoria turned the hospital around. Her leadership led to a 67% drop in the use of opioids and other prescription pain relievers, a significant drop in preventable in-hospital complications, and an increase in Toma's best places to work in the federal government employee engagement score of more than 27%. She's joined us today to tell us more about her decades-long career in the Veterans Health Administration and what other leaders can take away from the lessons she's learned. Victoria, welcome to Profiles in Public Service. So, Toma... VA Medical Center was in crisis when you arrived as the new acting director in 2015. In your first year as director, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced? Well, there were many. Uh, Crisis is a good definition for what was occurring in Toma. There had been the death of a young Marine veteran related to mixed drug toxicity. There was a loss of trust in the VA by members of the community veterans. There was an exponential surge of staff leaving the VA because they were afraid the hospital would close with all of the bad publicity that it was getting. So they were looking for other jobs. This is a city of 10,000 people. So Toma VA was the second largest employer in the area. So it was very scary times. Staff were very stressed. Uh, Media was negative about, of course, the death of this Marine. There were attention to the Toma VA from U.S. News and New York Times, huge attention that this smaller city was not used to getting. The leadership, two of the top four senior leaders had been fired and the other two left the Toma VA. So when I got there, there was no permanent leadership there in terms of senior leadership. The chief of staff had been let go. The director had been let go. The nurse executive had left. And so did the associate director. So there were all actings brought in at that time. There were multiple challenges as we started to turn over rocks and look at processes to find that there were multiple areas that needed improvement, use of data, communication systems, those types of things. So it was it was not a, a good situation. In fact, one of the worst I've seen. There was discussion about whether we close that hospital or we leave it open. What was the mission that they had to serve and would that be a, a positive one, you know, or not? So right away, I had to get boots to the ground and one of the top things that had to be addressed was really figuring out how to gain trust again and to be able to ensure that we were providing the level of service that our veterans earned and deserved. In order to do that, immediately, I had to get out and listen to the people, listen to the community, listen to the veterans, listen to the staff. What are the issues? And one of the 
first things I noticed was a culture where there was no psychological safety. There was a somewhat of a dictatorial tone to the previous senior leaders and not a feeling of safety for staff to come forward with issues that they felt were important to share. So that's one of the first things that we had to address in addition to looking at the services we provide and what do we do well and could we do well, and then move your resources around to try and promote those things to gain trust back from the community. Victoria, as you're talking, I'm just, I'm feeling the anxiety in my heart elevating just with that number, those number of challenges you face and you walked in the door on day one. But I want to focus quickly on this point you raised around staff morale and the point you made around increasing the psychological safety for staff and addressing that as a first order priority. That's so much of the work that we do at the partnership is around helping leaders recognize that as a challenge and prioritize it and put the right kind of tools and strategy behind it. And I'm curious, did your background in nursing help you in any way in terms of how you thought about leadership or how you connected with staff? I personally believe that it did because many staff, including physicians, nurse practitioners, nurses, many felt that they could talk to me because I could speak their language. And that was voiced to me by many of the staff. So my ability to be able to make changes or have those tough conversations and gain that trust I think expedited the process because I was one of them. I had been a nurse for many, many years within that particular region, having been at the Milwaukee VA as a nurse and many different levels and roles for 25 years and having been with the network that long. You know, I I think I came with a history of credibility that I could speak that language. And then having had the training and leadership and business and those types of things, I could speak to all the different types of groups and at least speak their language. So I feel that expedited our ability to make strategic decisions and be able to gain that support from the groups to move forward. In addition, though, when you have a burning platform that you think you may lose the career that you've worked so hard for, that is a burning platform that really draws people together. Anytime you're dealing with crisis, it usually brings your team much closer, especially when you have a passionate mission that is a very clear mission of serving veterans. It already makes your team very integrated. And then when you suffer together, it it really helps you support each other. So I think all of those things combined made it a faster process for healing. Just to put a finger on the main question, do you think that focus on culture and building the team and employee engagement, do you think it leads to better patient care? There's no doubt in my mind that it does. And I feel like there are certain characteristics that a leader must possess. And no matter what crisis you find yourself in, you will use those skill sets. And one of the most important things is your emotional intelligence in motivating, bringing your people together. It is about the people, the people that do the work, the people that provide the care, the people that think about new and innovative ways to provide that care. It is all about the people. And when you have a morally or psychologically distressed staff, they will directly correlate with your veteran satisfaction or your patient satisfaction. The staff that are motivated, that are resilient, that have energy and continuous improvement motivation are always going to relay that to the patients. 
So it absolutely is important to have a staff that is engaged, that have energy coming to the table, that you are listening to that frontline staff that are actually out there doing the work and have great ideas. You cannot do this as an island. A leader is inspirational. A leader sets the vision. A leader creates the motivation. But if people don't respond, you know, they have a choice to follow. That's the difference to me between a manager and a leader. You can manage a crisis, but people can choose to follow or not. And you won't be successful if they don't make that choice. Victoria, one of the things that I'm I'm struck by, you know, listening to you is how much focus you also put on listening yourself as a leader saying, you know, these great ideas are coming from the staff, but that you also got in there and talked to the community, you talked to the veterans themselves. And this is just all such a, you know, a holistic, as Lauren said, you know, wow, so many challenges, what do you come in and tackle first? And how much can be discovered just through listening? I want to take it now on a a different thread for one of the very visible problems being the overprescription of of opioids. Can you tell us about some of the innovations in pain management that you implemented when you got there? Yes, I'm so excited. And that takes us right back to the innovation of our experts. So once you get hope out to that staff and say, we are going to overcome this, and you know what? We can, we do have a service and we do have an expertise that is valuable to our veterans. And you put those resources into that, that is when you start to see all those creative juices uh, rolling. So I had a group of experts in pain management, rehab specialists, OT, pain physicians, nurse practitioners, just a plethora of staff that were expertise. And they came up with what we called originally the Pain University. And this was a curriculum developed by them that brought veterans back into kind of a school setting. They had Pain 101, Pain 102, and then all sorts of different activities that veterans could do. But you'd have to go like back to school and you'd pick your curriculum and then you'd pass that class and it would teach you about the dynamics of pain and the pathophysiology of pain and understanding your pain and the latest, you know, research on it. But then it customized each pain protocol for each veteran. How can your specific pain be controlled? What are you willing to live with and not willing to live with? And then as that pain university grew, we moved into what we call whole health. And VA Toma became the flagship for the entire region. As a matter of fact, made a national impact on whole health across the nation as we began to expand that pain university and say, well, now what kinds of activities and evidence-based protocols from complementary medicine can we integrate with our traditional medicine? Because one of the things I noticed is that what was available at the Toma VA was a lot of medications, but not alternative treatments. And the science tells us that in chronic pain conditions, opioids are not necessarily the answer. So we actually, with the help of the parents of the veteran who passed away, who sat on our veteran experience committee and helped us change the way we do things, developed a whole health flagship. In fact, we had a grand opening a couple of years ago. There's a beautiful whole health tower at the Toma VA and provides from meditation to Tai Chi to mindfulness to battlefield acupuncture. We have experts from the field of all of those areas and many veteran vignettes that will tell you I thought this was a bunch of hooey, but it's really working for me. 
I've gotten a grasp of my pain. It's amazing how this is launched and and is spread across the entire VA system. And I, I love the enthusiasm as you talk about this. It's as if it was yesterday, but the fact that this has really gone on to have a national impact, as you said. And it's just so interesting because this is unfortunately a problem worldwide. So to hear about alternative treatments, and I love, love what you said, what matters to you, not what is the matter with you. That's just absolutely beautiful. It's awesome. It does. It does feel like yesterday. And right now, I am fortunate to sit on the, I co-chair the National Whole Health Advisory Committee for the VA. And we are still moving this across every VA in America has whole health advisory committees and is practicing whole health. We have tele whole health and we have a huge expansion of whole health to our employees as well. Because it's important to balance, no matter if you're a veteran or an employee, you need to have balance in your life to achieve your goals. Victoria, you spent most of your career working in the Veterans Health Administration. Can you tell us more about what drew you to a career in healthcare and veteran health care specifically? Yes, well, I'm a nurse, so I am basically fundamentally a big caregiver. So for me, I am motivated by making a difference and being needed. So I know that. And I think a good leader will always know what their motivator is. And so I go, obviously, (laughs) where I'm needed. So I love to set up processes or develop people or see people succeed and then move on to another challenge. So being a nurse was perfect to fit all of those needs. Coming into the VA was also perfect. I have six brothers and a father who were in the military. So I wanted to serve as well. And being a nurse in the VA, there was no better way for me to actually help veterans every single day. And it was my way of giving back and still being able to have my family and my daughter who I could not have been separated from. So to me, this was a way for me to stay local and yet still provide the care and the commitment to our service in a way that I could. So Victoria, the the Veterans Health Administration is the largest integrated healthcare system in the country. I don't know if everyone you know, not involved in the federal government is aware of this. I mean, it includes more than 1,200 healthcare facilities. You treat more than 9 million veterans each year. So in addition to some of the alternative treatments that we've been talking about, how would you say treatment has evolved at VA hospitals, say, in the past five years? And what kinds of improvements have veterans seen in their care? Oh, I think that the VA is amazing because like you said, it is huge. And you have an ability to make changes that are nationally impacted changes. The VA not only provides excellent acute surgical care, but they also very much specialize in in some kinds of care that are not easy to get. For instance, you know, in my region alone, we have two spinal cord injury centers giving stellar care to spinal cord injured and have some of the most cutting edge research in mechanisms and appliances that can assist spinal cord injured patients to live quality lives. We do wonderful work with all sorts of extended care. We have community living centers, beautiful community living centers, but also really have ramped up in our ability to try and have more home care, adult day health care, long-term care services to help veterans stay in their homes as long as possible. 
possible before having to be in some sort of an institution, trying to group homes or programs like family homes where several veterans can live together with a sponsor in a home, much better than you know having to be in an institution, if at all possible. We excel at mental health and prevention of suicide. As a matter of fact, the 2019 data has just come in. And for veterans, there's been a 7% decrease in suicides. So very great outreach in suicide. And actually, that was one of the things that we expanded at the Toma VA was every level of mental health care through the continuum that you can imagine. Toma was the only regional military sexual trauma. They were the only one in the nation working with our partner, Fort McCoy, to provide simulated combat PTSD, exposure therapy, those types of things. VA is cutting edge at providing mental health treatment and care. As a matter of fact, we have now really expanded in working with our partners in the private sector because no one is an island. And there are veterans that do not go to a VA. So how do you reach them? So I've partnered with Governor's Challenges in the states to really outreach to veterans and make sure that the resources, not only that the VA has, but that the private sector offers also are available to our veterans. We excel in eradicating homelessness in our veterans and developing relationships with landlords and building areas where our veterans can live and learn how to get socialized back into life and be successful again. I see that we have telehealth. Our telehealth has grown exponentially, and COVID probably has expedited a lot of that. But we have continued to innovate with that area to deliver care that's more convenient and technologically advanced. Nearly one-third of all of our enrolled veterans have access to VA care through a telehealth means. We have opened in my region and several regions in the VA giant clinical resource hubs where we can provide all sorts of care, including whole health over a telehealth continuum. We continue to open small clinics across the entire United States for whole health, for rehab, for urgent care, for those kinds of things to reach our veterans where they are. So I think that that in the last five years has grown also exponentially. We are focusing on women veterans care as well to expand the kinds of specialized care that our women veterans need, as well as expansion of caregivers. So we have a huge comprehensive assistance for family caregivers program that actually supports caregivers that stay home and take care of our veterans. And how can we support them, not only financially, but, you know, with development and support as well. So we continue innovations in prosthetics and polytrauma care, and we have a strong national presence in research and trainee education. There are so many physicians and different levels of providers that are trained through the VA. We're a very big educational training institute as well. Victoria, I mean, this is just an incredible list, and it's only the highlights of all the cutting-edge work that the VA is doing with uh, and for veterans and the improvements that have been made in the last five years. I want to touch on one of them. You were appointed the network director for VA Great Lakes Healthcare System last March, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And you've talked about how not only did you have very few staff who had to step away during the pandemic or who wanted to, but that you had people coming out of retirement to help. What do you think inspires that kind of dedication and resilience in the middle of what was a a real nationwide crisis, not just for veterans, but obviously for the Americans overall? 
It was so amazing when I was hearing stories about nurses calling off, you know, and not coming to work. And I was watching and and worried that, you know, if we don't have the workforce, what are we going to do while we're surging all of these patients into our ICUs? Not only did we not have high call off rates, but like you said, our people came back, respiratory therapists and nurses and providers came back out of retirement to come back into our hospitals and help in any way that they could, whether that was screening people for COVID, taking temperatures or coming back into practice. It was just an amazing show. And I really believe that it is that two part, one being that mission of serving veterans, that even when you go into retirement, you've had that mission your entire life, that doesn't go away. And so it's that drive to serve our country. And this is a wonderful way to serve our country. And then I feel that in crisis, the type of people that are also drawn by mission are also also motivated by crisis to help their brothers and sisters. So I think it is that team. I, I saw people pull together at every level of the organization. As a whole, the VA endorses a culture of high reliability, psychological safety, and accountability. So I feel like in cases like this, that culture drives people to want to do the right thing and and be empowered to do the right thing. We had no issues actually with trying to get people to not only come back and help, but we are having our staff all over the United States assisting with those areas that are being very much hit higher than we are here in the Midwest. We also are helping very close to our partners in the state, and we have deployed staff into our state veteran homes to help our veterans wherever they are. That level of dedication, I think, just keeps us going. We even saw a drop in the retirement rate during COVID because people just felt the need to serve and not to to leave during a, a terrible time. It could have gone totally the other way, but it didn't. So it was a wonderful dynamic just to be part of and witness. It was it's part of history, I think. I, I also have goosebumps now, so that, that's an incredible story. Linking back uh, for a moment to your experience in Toma, and then one of the points you made about having a culture of psychological safety and so on. How did you and others take care of employees' physical and mental health in your region during the pandemic? And are there any lessons from that that you think that other employers could take away from that experience? Well, we absolutely, in Toma, one of the things we did was it's called Our Place, R in quotes, for rest, relaxation, and restoration. And it was a place where if you were feeling a little worked up or stressed, you could go to this room and you could meditate, you know, read. There was yoga, treadmills, whatever you, you needed to do to get it your energy out. And I know they've expanded into another one of those. I've done the same thing at the region. These are safe places places for employees to kind of let off steam and get self-help. Also, we have a huge network of anonymous and safe psychological support. If you need to talk to a psychologist or that type of thing, that employee assistance program is very strong. In addition, we took a lot of lessons, I think, from our DOD partners who would come into the VA and teach about resilience and what are the characteristics of that and how do you stay resilient during a very difficult time. And I think 
that we always have to drive home compassion. One of the things I did was really focus my staff on a program called VA Voices. In fact, there are a couple staff from Toma that are now national leaders in that initiative. And this is a program whereby all our staff at some point were taken away from the station of the hospital for two days and really focused on themselves. And they would be in this larger group with facilitators and trained people in VA voices to help people understand and respect each other's differences and respect each other. And these groups were strategically mixed. So it was people from all different levels of the organization that would come out after two days and see each other as humans and learn not to climb up each other's ladders and judge each other too quickly and really realize we all bring something to the table. That made such a huge difference that people all over the organization would be saying things like, please don't climb that ladder too fast. They'd speaking the same kind of language, but that really drilled into the culture, just this kind of, we need to be nice, we need to value each other, and we need to not judge each other. At that fundamental level, we had to kind of Make sure that foundation existed no matter where you were. And as a servant leader, I would come and tell my story too and say, hey, I'm human too. Here's where, you know, I've struggled. I have human emotion. You can see me just like you. We're all humans. I bring something to the table and so do you. But I think that really made a difference. And the fact that during all of this we're going through, you gave me two days for me to develop as a person. It made a huge difference in the level of trust. The trust score in the Toma VA was very high, like 92% from the veterans. So Victoria, big question for you. What do you see as the future of the VA hospital system? And how do you think the federal government can even better respond to the needs of those serving their country? We're doing quite a bit. There is new legislation, the Hannon Act, that's come out. So we have a great movement that I'm so proud to be part of to make sure that all our transitioning service members know how to access the resources that they need right away. So wonderful things are happening in that arena. I think we're very much looking at making sure, like I said earlier, that we have all types of telehealth available so that veterans can access the care wherever they are. We are making sure to have much stronger partnerships in the community. We have community-based veterans groups that have all different types of community uh, services along with the VA working hand-in-hand to just make sure veterans know how to access the care they need. We have apps. We're getting very app friendly so that young veterans or, or people that are really just comfortable with their phones can just app and find any resource that they need very quickly. We've like tripled our clinical contact centers and our crisis hotlines to have people 24-7 that are just available to help whatever the help is and to really make the VA very streamlined. We're implementing a new electronic health record, and it'll be very easy for veterans to come in. And no matter what VA they walk in, no matter where they are in the in the country, they'll be able to walk in and receive a level of care that they're used to from their primary VA. So very much technologically advanced in that area as well. I think we're going to continue our research initiative that we have come out with so much awesome research. And And on the cutting edge of that, suicide prevention is huge. And so new and and creative ways of preventing suicide are being developed. I think those areas are huge for us. And we also want to make sure that we highlight our LGBTQ plus 
and make sure that we are moving towards services that LGBTQ plus veterans can access and be comfortable with as well. So we are moving in that direction as well, especially with our transgender new legislation that has just come out. Last question, Victoria. This has been such a valuable conversation, and I know our listeners will benefit from it. You have spent a lot of time talking with younger public servants, including through some programs we have here at the partnership about how to change systems in the way that you have in your career and how to fix problems. What do you think is some of the most important advice that you can give to those trying to grow their leadership skills? I would say it it takes courage. I think you have to have a high level of integrity to do the right thing. And if you make a mistake, have some forgiveness. Things will happen. It's what you do when they happen. Do something about it and learn every day. Just keep learning to do the right thing. Talk to people, stay real, get out there, and you can make a difference. And there are, of course, leadership skills that we all need to. You have to be able to delegate, to take risks. You need to be able to be visible and give a clear message and be there for people have somewhat of a tough shell. I, I think the, the higher a leader goes in the organization, the more lonely it can get. But you need to be able to be accountable to yourself, forgive yourself, and just keep being driven by doing the right thing. And no job is too big or too small. You can make a difference at whatever level or whatever role you play, whatever you do, you can make a difference. And remember, people are always watching you. Whether you know it or not, someone may come back at some point and you have actually made a difference in their lives. I'll just remember about four years ago when I was sitting in my office on a Christmas Eve and received a text or an email from an employee from many years ago in the early 80s, a secretary that was really struggling with childcare and trying to make it and trying to go to school because she, you know, she had aspirations. And she was working in Washington and sent me this email and said, you know, I just want to tell you Merry Christmas. And that day that you told me to stick it out and we were going to get through this and I made it through, I want you to know that I'm working in a high level position in Washington, much higher than me. And I want you to know that day made the difference. So I, I could cry right now. That's the stuff you don't even realize that you could change someone's life for the better. So just get out and do it. Victoria, this is all very tremendous. I love hearing your story and your advice for others. And as Lauren said, I mean, the, the goosebumps are pretty much ongoing at this point. And we thank you for spending time with us. We thank you so much for your incredible service. I think it's been 40 years now is what you had shared earlier before we started recording. Just a tremendous thank you for spending this time with us. Absolutely. Glad to do it. Thank you. Rachel, I don't know if your goosebumps have diminished, but it it was like watching a superhero movie. All the bad things happen. The aliens have shown up. There's horrible disasters. There's awful things. And the lone savior superhero walks in. What an amazing woman. What an amazing leader. I felt the same way. And when talking about all of the things, all of the challenges when she got there, 
But then she was so excited talking about everything that they did. And then later when she said, I go where I'm needed, it's like, okay, that makes sense. Like that gets her going. I love your your superhero descriptor. That's it. She would say that's not the case, but I'm with you on that one. And I know that she would point to the 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 many incredible people that she's worked with over the years in different places. And they absolutely deserve that credit too. But something that she talked about is something that she helped create in those environments, which was creating a culture of psychological safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard that either explicitly or implicitly so many times. That culture, um, and, and we talk about this a lot in our leadership training, it allows people to innovate. It allows them to feel free to take risk, to not be scared to ask a question or to raise a concern about something going on that must just exude from her pores because you could tell in the many environments that she's had to work in and the incredible innovations that she's brought about, that's a consistent theme. And I I so admire that. And I'm trying to figure out how do I emulate this? And the fact that she's doing it, not just for the veterans that they're serving, but for the staff. And as you had asked her, Lauren, you know, there's a direct correlation, how are you treating your staff and employee morale that translates into the customer experience and what's happening with your clients. And it just seemed so spot on when she talked about the room that, you know, the the R place that they had for staff to decompress and relax and take care of themselves in a similar way that they're taking care of the veterans and, and looking at each person's individual needs. I just, I thought that was really fantastic. It's been an ongoing feature in the research that we've done at the partnership and something that Victoria both works with us on and has spoken about in that you're going to provide better customer experience if your employees are having a better experience. Mm -hmm. And it just makes sense logically, but it doesn't always happen that way in terms of how leaders invest their time. But particularly at the VA, I love how they have in many cases applied some of the same philosophy, the same methodology to helping their employees build their total health, build out their psychological health, their mental health, build out care for their families and feel as though they're being supported. The same practices they're applying for employees as they are for veterans, or at least the same approaches and philosophy. And the the work that they have done as demonstrates that pays off for them enormously. So I, I love hearing those stories because it's both instinctively true, but I also really love hearing it to show that like this actually works. And this is where leaders, leaders should feel proud to make those investments because it's going to pay off for their mission. Absolutely. And on a different note, I appreciated that at least three times she used the phrase cutting edge, which is not what people think when they think the federal government. Nope. So that was, and and you just hear the excitement and the enthusiasm in her voice when she was talking about all the different things. And I, and she had so much stories and information to back that up, you know, truly cutting edge with the research, the technology, the techniques, the alternative medicines, and it just on and on. So I, I love that, you know, it busts that myth of government as a very slow dinosaur bureaucracy to, to have a conversation like that. It's bridging the two ethos of public service and healthcare, I think, is such an interesting thing to explore because it it actually gives you more space as a healthcare practitioner to think about not just what can I do to provide health, but what is it that we owe these individuals as a country? What is it that we can do that supports not only these individuals as patients, but the broader health ecosystem at large? And you you can see that in the sort of priorities that she's made that like we are, they're doing cutting edge work, but they're purposely trying to get it into the broader healthcare system as well, because there are such incredible innovations. 
The other thing that I don't think she ever used this word, but it very much became clear to me because she goes where she is sent or goes she was where she is needed is courage. I don't know. She probably wouldn't describe it in that way, but I'm just imagining walking in on your first day in Toma or walking into your healthcare system as the pandemic hits and knowing all the challenges you're going to face and using that not just to try to like keep things level set, but to find incredible innovations to make people feel happier and more mission driven in their jobs and to find real success in the veterans that they are serving. That's not just impressive, that is incredibly to me courageous in terms of her facility in doing that, but also just the the grace with which she pulls it off. Yeah, it was interesting because she didn't use the word courage in that way. It was just, you know, what we've heard from others, the I'm here to do my job and this is what I do. And and the word courage did come up when it came to having that high level of integrity to do the right thing. And her conversation about, you know, we're all going to make mistakes, but it's what you do about it that counts and talk to people and staying real and all the things you want to hear from a leader and have them model the way like that. But I, I agree, just this image of here's the pandemic and they're all almost like rushing back into the fire. <laughs> you know, I, I, back to it really brings it back home to your superhero image, frankly. <laughs> well, we are lucky as always to be able to talk to these often very quiet behind the scenes and unsung superheroes who there's many people like Victoria and many different agencies doing all kinds of work that we don't ever hear about and I I love being able to know that 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 is the case and that we to be able to spotlight some of them every once in a while through this podcast yeah I realize I'm sitting here listening to you and I have this ginormous smile on my face feeling really (laughs) goofy but that's how this one makes me feel so thanks Lauren yep thanks Rachel So that's our show. Thanks so much for listening. Profiles in Public Service was created by the Partnership for Public Service. Our researcher and writer is Emma Jones. Our script supervisor is Barry Goldberg. And our executive producer is Jordan Lapierre. Profiles in Public Service is produced by District Productive. I'm Lauren DeYoung-Shulman. And I'm Rachel Klein-Kircher. See you next time.